0: Can you see that in the background? Yep. Practice Impossible. Low no. is on the microphone and on the screens and everywhere. Yeah. So uh, we're rolling. I didn't realize that we were we we're on. So today we're with Doctor Singh at the Practice Impossible podcast. Doctor Singh, welcome, welcome to the home, welcome to my home, our home. Um, this has been a long time coming. I, I think. Um, for me, it's uh, somewhat bittersweet because this is coming to an end to my season one of the Practice Impossible podcast, where I've been teaching physicians about managed care, Medicare Advantage, and um, uh, and a lot of this, a lot of our teaching, a lot of my teaching has come from you, and so uh, I think because of you, we're here, and because of you, I'd like to kind of summarize everything we've done over the past year and a half with the Practice Impossible podcast and. And, uh, just to let my audience know, I'm not going away and I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I have to study for my boards. So I, I don't know if you know, my internal medicine boards are coming up. Um, I also have a license renewal in January and because of you, I have mirror you courses, course recording coming. And so, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about that and uh, how you've coerced me into recording your own courses for your university. But, uh. No, just kidding, you didn't coerce me. Um, so we'll be back with uh, other topics. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do is maybe even do some surveys to see what physicians would want to hear about, because our mission is to help populations live long by increasing awareness of, for, of physicians' uh, spiritual, mental, and physical health globally. And my idea is to help physicians with the business of medicine and understand how to how to run a, a practice. So season one has been all about Medicare Advantage, and maybe season two will be on something else that you guys decide. Um, but uh, Dr. Singh was one of my uh, most popular downloads, and uh, it was on real estate, and it was a great episode, and I'm sure we're going to touch on real estate. But being that you are you are the guru of Medicare Advantage, I wanted uh, our audience to hear you and hear you talk about Medicare Advantage, past, present, and future. So
1: Welcome. Thank you, Jude. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, uh, I know I still remember the first time we met with Excel Sheets. I think our physicians now, uh, in, in looking looking back, physicians need to learn how to use Excel Sheets, at least understand the concept. Uh, Medicare Advantage, we've done it for 26 years. It used, wasn't called Medicare Advantage in those, in those days. Mm-hmm. I think it was Medicare Replacement, that's what it was called. And it has changed a lot. I think in in many ways, it has become better for physicians. If we are able to keep up with the requirements, uh, it is demanding. It was a lot of it requires a lot of focus, attention, hard work. But once one understands it and is able to get in the flow, uh, then I think it is rewarding in terms of uh, long-term relationships with patients in terms of the satisfaction that comes out of uh, doing good for the patients because you're looking at a patient comprehensively. And finally, it has also a good financial return if done right. And if you're consistent about it, if you're systematic and methodical about it, then it, can, it continues to give you a higher return than fee-for-service would, uh, at least that's my experience. But physicians who are willing to learn, physicians who are not stuck in their groove, who don't dig in heels, who are open to learning, and willing to deeply engage with patients. Uh, if you And so you have to basically love what you do. And if you're willing to do that, then you can be successful in it. I think it's definitely something that uh, every new physician should explore. Um, other, there are other avenues that we are learning how to develop which can be as profitable uh, and as satisfying as Medicare Advantage, and I'm learning about it. So uh, we are exploring it being of a nature that we always try to learn new things. I think those can be considered too. But, of course, Medicare Advantage could be your bread and butter, and if you know how to do it, if you tie up with good consultants, if you tie up with good mentors, I think it can be very uh, worthwhile and rewarding. Sure. And,
0: and, you know, you, the word mentor has come up a lot in the podcast episodes from, from various different providers and, you know, business consultants. And um, I think you have been my mentor uh, over the past you know 20 years. And, you know, I, I want this to not only be an episode to describe what, you know, the, what Medicare Advantage can do for you as a physician, but also to have fun. Yes. Because we are, um, You know, I've watched Joe Rogan's podcast for a while, and I'm trying to see how we can kind of emulate that and get get people to kind of listen to what we're talking about because um, it's all about decreasing physician stress so that they can make more money. And I I think that is a goal that uh, a lot of us shied away from, I guess, in in residency. And, you know, we want to do it for the good of the patient. And yes, it's true. But if we are not strong as... As physicians, as human beings, on the personal side and financial side, I, I don't see how we can take care of patients. So, um, how do you see it, it, Medicare Advantage different from fee for service?
1: Um, it's a multifaceted, multidimensional approach. It's different. That's the difference. So, to to make it very succinct, it's your entire approach to the to the model of Medicare uh, Advantage. It is your approach to the patient right from the get-go, right from the day they call you, a relationship with the health plans, relationships with your staff, uh, your outreach people, your marketers, and then how you treat them, Mm -hmm. how you work them up, how you document things, how you get all their records, so their compliance, the quality. And then as they go, how do you do a follow-up? And that's one part of it. And then how do you crunch the numbers? How do you analyze your data? And then how do you use that to build a model that is self-sustaining? And, and then it, through the process, how do you learn? How do you make other physicians as your uh, partners in it or physicians who are willing to share with you their knowledge? It's a different, uh, it's a teamwork uh, definitely, way different from the old fee-for-service model, and the entire mindset has to change too. The the approach has to change.
0: But you but you have specialists who are still doing fee-for-service, so they're still, you know, trying to see as many patients as they can. They're still trying to, you know, churn the system as, yes. as some way it may call it. How do we get them on board?
1: Um, it, it's in this area at least. It is a challenge. So I think. Uh, building a relationship, having a communication, engaging with them. Also, one of the important uh, points of impact is the one whom you refer most of the patients to. And the one whom you choose should have some efficiency and efficacy. First rule is they have to be good doctors. They have to have the skill to take care of the patient. Uh, If they take an extra visit a year, That is cheaper than someone who is messing up the patient and then you have 20, 30 visits out of it and 10 more procedures out of it. So I think good providers, good specialists, and then building a relationship with them, just as like you're building a relationship with your patient or your staff, you you have a deep relationship with them so that they start listening to you. Mm -hmm. As the old saying is, you know, only friends will buy. So you have to turn them into your friends and that will happen only when you make it a long-term relationship. Uh, I've heard of primary care physicians yelling at the specialist. That's usually not a good option. Um, Threatening them, that's never a good option. Uh, But working with them, understanding the needs of the specialist and the needs of the patient. If the patient needs a certain procedure done that's good for them, then it may be worthwhile. And so, Eliminating waste, there's so much waste in it that if everyone could work together to just eliminate the waste, I think most of the, 40%, I think, is waste. Now, if we can eliminate even half of it, then then you have done a good job in the system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I don't think, you know, you see a lot of waste. You, you said it right. But then you see those that are wasting are not often contracted with the insurance companies. Insurance companies end up canceling those positions. And then they end up feeling like they were shunned or they, yes. they don't really we realize that it's their doing that's causing them not to have as many insurance plans. And then they turn to doing other things. So how you didn't know all of this when you first started, though. So you started Access in what, 2001? 2001. And I came in 2002, I think, right? Yes. 2002, July 22nd. You were probably the first one, weren't you? No, it was... I wasn't the first. After the chiropractic. uh, Yeah, chiropractic and and, um, two other physicians, I think. Um, It was a crazy time.
1: Yes. Yes, it was. We just began. We had just started at that time. We were learning, and I must say we have learned. I mean, along the way, we made a lot of mistakes. But what is the saying now? Fail fast, fail early, Uh fail often. Yeah. We did a lot of things that we failed.
0: failed often, that's for sure.
1: Yes, but uh, I think it has... Brought us to a point where we can reflect and learn from it, and and be able to teach others. At least, don't repeat our mistakes. Make new mistakes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so you you grew fast. I remember growing with you pretty fast. I, I was an income guarantee with the Spring Hill Regional Hospital. Right, the, that's correct. A, a Jim Beatty, I think. Jim Beatty, yeah, Jim. Um, he's CEO somewhere. Good local. old Jim. Yes. Do you know, you talked to him. No, you? no. Okay. He was a good guy. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the reasons why I came here. Uh, but I remember rounding in the hall or visiting in the hallway and there, the, one physician would say, oh, Dr. Singh is great. And he was, this was a specialist. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. But he said, Dr. Singh is great. You, you know, He loves business. He knows the business of medicine. But then you had other physicians who say, oh, you're going to work for the HMO doctor? Why is there such disdain for, for the HMO doctors?
1: Well, I must say it has gone down. I mean, in my opinion, it has gone down a lot because most physicians are taking it, the penetration in the communities, even in Hernando County is 60 to 65% and only growing. Miami is 80%. Really? Yeah, so where do you go if you don't take that? Unless you carve out a niche for yourself, which we can talk about if you're interested, unless you carve out another line where the return is higher or as high, then it makes sense, but um, see, a lot of those people who kind of, you know, were antagonistic, then joined us, because I think one was one of the important things, good things we did was we worked on the infrastructure, we worked on creating teams and the right people and the technology infrastructure and the data infrastructure. And you know how even after all these years of work, we are, we still feel like we have barely scratched the surface. There's so much information, so much data out there. But I think over the years what we have seen is health plans have become more friendly to physicians. The old approach was they would hide it. They would not share with us. And so we would all often try to you know, tweak out the data and try to figure it out. It never would make complete sense. But as the health plans have become more compliant, more transparent, now we can break down the data and understand it better, especially Part D, and you've been through that. Uh, whenever we used to review crunch of the numbers together, we were almost in the ballpark. And then we realized over the following years, discrepancies started coming in, which never made sense. Now they're beginning to make sense again. So I think that effort towards compliance on the health plans is a good thing. The transparency is a good thing. And a lot of physicians who joined us even though they felt threatened by it. So it was not so much antagonism, it was the fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they realized that we have created a compliant infrastructure based on authenticity, based on integrity, based on focus on, on patients. We spent a lot of, as you know, money on hiring the best people, the subject matter experts, creating an education platform, uh, you know, the whole approach towards a master's program, what is it? It's not just, you know, a, a way to just look ourself, look at ourselves and, you know, kind of uh, put some kind of halo around ourselves. It's an approach towards uh, creating a platform where physicians, administrators can learn. And I was told something very nice by a physician who was doing a master's with Harvard. And he said, your program is more intense, more detailed than Harvard. And I tell you why, because we live it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't have a Harvard professor professor know the ins and outs of managed Absolutely. care. Absolutely. There's no way. I Absolutely. Mean, and if they, they do know, they may not be professors at Harvard because they may be making a lot more money somewhere else. That's
1: right. Once you so. figure it out, then that's theory. We live it, right? So today we did a program on GME. What would a Harvard pro, professor in, in say, public health, We know about graduate medical education, the the nits, nitty-gritty of it, the little bit, little details. We talked about uh, credentialing yesterday. What would they know of credentialing? Things that we live, what you do in a practical life. So for a practical life, you need people who have practiced, right?
0: Yeah, but you, you have physicians who just don't want to, don't feel like they want to know this stuff. They don't need to know this stuff. If, if I have a practice administrator doing yes. this stuff for me, why should I know this stuff?
1: And that's okay. But then get an administrator who is willing to learn, so who is loyal to you, who has the skill set, and most importantly, who has the attitude. See, skill cannot, can be taught. Attitude, very difficult to teach. So if you have someone who's in the learning mode, they'll learn all this. The only problem is, where do you find them? Yeah. I've never found a perfect practice manager in yeah. 26 years. So eventually I have to supplement it. I have to know what I'm doing and then I can guide them. It's like as a physician, I cannot have a, just say, okay, the nurse will take care of the patient. No, I have to be on top of it. I have to know what the potassium is. I have to know what the pulse is, the vitals. If I'm not keeping my fingers on the pulse, the nurse and God bless the nurses, the the PA, the the other team members, they're not going to be able to do a great job. So. I have to do the same thing with my practice. I have to be the doctor. Don't have to do everything. I have to learn to delegate, just like in medicine. Delegate to the best trained people, but you have to keep your fingers on the pulse. No matter what you do, whether you do manage care, or do fee-for-service, keep your fingers on the pulse. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's great advice, for sure. Um, so access grew, obviously, to to a point where um, even I branched off a little bit and yes. came back. and. Yes. And I don't even know how many physicians you have now. We started at five. I think we were rounding, co-rounding at at the hospital systems. Now we're in multiple counties. Yes. How many
1: physicians physicians do we have now? I think we have about 250 providers. So 250 employed providers. Employed providers and about 130 or 40 affiliates. Okay. And
0: how did that happen? Because, did you acquire practices, or did they? Did you hire physicians? How, what was the bulk of that?
1: Strange as it may sound, it was. Of course, it was a mix. But um, what we did in the first few years was just get the right people, and just try to create the right systems. And you know, when you say right people, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a right person coming in. You have to work with them. Years of of working with them so that they start getting used to you. And, and getting the right uh, at it. Sometimes you have to uh, get consultants to, to kind of supplement your knowledge. And it is a, it's a long effort. But if you start building a team that is uh, autonomous, that is willing, that has its your own approach of challenging itself, of being creative, yet following the rules, not being creative with the rules, yet making sure the regulations are followed, So what we did was we we got such a team and then we started building an infrastructure. So by 2007, 2008, as things became difficult, and you know, a lot of changes happened and Medicare Advantage became very difficult for a while. People lost a lot of money on it. Um, They did not do do too well. And specialists were under the gun So a lot of them joined us. The new requirements came Mm -hmm. uh, with- with High tech. High uh, tech and all. So they could not afford uh, to pay for all this. So they joined because of the infrastructure. And we were generous. We were not uh, very tough on them. We were generous in terms of uh, sharing the profits. And so I think also we ensured that there was an integrity through the system. So financials have to be clean. And once that was done, I think more and more people- joined us and kind of coalesced around this. Uh, Specialists did not lose by joining us. Uh, A lot of them just merged their practices, unheard of. They just merged their practices in our group. Then we also brought in uh, new physicians. We purchased a few practices. In those days, value of practices was not that high. And then de novo practices, we started some de novo practices. Now we've gotten, now the world has changed, 2022. Now purchasing a practice is almost uh, impossible at a reasonable price. So we go for de novo practices or we work with our senior physicians and try to incentivize them and create a stakeholder uh, arrangement where they can do well as as their practices grow, which I think is a unique approach. But I also
0: see that in that growth we get reports on physicians coming and going so yes. there's some physicians leaving yes. what is your pulse what what are you seeing is the main reason why physicians are leaving the group?
1: A lot of them are retiring okay. burnt out um, done with it. We had a surgeon who became a, a started working at a port just uh, picking up you know all the overhauling the luggage and all that i mean it's it's wow. unreal yeah he's a he was a surgeon a very good surgeon. He dropped it all, and now he's just at the port, makes probably as much money, and he's a very happy man. So, tell me about the burnout, though. You said burn burnout is and... happening, COVID, COVID caused a lot of burnout. Okay. Um, and then the requirements and the lo- medical legal issues, tremendous pressure on the physicians, specialists, general surgeons a lot. Uh, we, we saw that with, uh, with uh, ENT, a lot of ENT physicians retired. People just don't want to uh, do it anymore. Uh, Primary care physicians, of course, as they age, uh, they are are leaving. But we are seeing a lot of new physicians come in, too. Uh, We are seeing physicians move from other groups to ours. Uh, We have not seen too many physicians leave our group. And again, that is uh, perhaps a good thing, good validation of our outreach and developing long-term relationships with them. And our approach has been different than in building our group. We did not go out and into far-flung areas in in Philadelphia, in Texas and Vegas and California and plopping offices. We did not do that. We stayed concentric, very organic uh, in growth, very deliberate uh, in in picking the locations, perhaps too deliberate in picking the physicians who come in. And that's why we've had a a steady growth. We have not looked looked for an explosive growth. Um, it we did not explode, the market exploded, and and uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing. But we stayed, we have stayed the course. We've stayed focused on our fundamentals. We still love what we do. We are not burnt out. But you're right, physicians who don't enjoy it. The moment you lose that enjoyment, the moment the journey is not the reward, you get burnt out. So what you're putting out, if you're not getting equivalent or more than that, you're getting a burnt out, burnout. And the equivalent is not just financial. It has to be emotional too. It has to be professional too. You have to be able to enjoy it. And that, we have been lucky. We do crazy things. We do creative things that most physicians won't. So we love doing new things. And adversities will happen. They've happened. But how do you turn those adversities into an advantage? And so that I think has helped us, but a lot of physicians, they get burnt out. We have had, we had a physician who committed suicide,
0: so. Uh, yeah, and I uh, was gonna potentially bring that up and in, in later on in the episode, uh, yes. because I, I remember him and, yes. and it's um, something that resonates with me. I mean, this is one of, the, one of my missions, because you know, physicians, yes commit suicide 1.8 times more than the general population. Yes, yes. And there is no way we can take care of patients if we can't take care of ourselves. Absolutely. So, um I think I think we all recognize it and I I commend you for allowing physicians to do other things because yeah. uh you know, it's not just me doing practice impossible. There's the Jabawi brothers who are doing uh, their their own thing with uh, the doc po- talk pod- podcast, doc- podcast, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it allows us to, you know, and, and if you read the Google way, yes. if uh, Google yes. allows their employees 15% yes. of their time, I think right. I read that number 15% yeah. of yes. their own personal time to do whatever they want right. on, on the company time. So it, it def- definitely helps in, in decreasing burnout and, and allowing <clears throat> bigger things to happen. Cause I think right. we, we have the ability to reach more people when we do other things that keep us, you know, um, happier, I guess, uh,
1: So Jude, I absolutely, so this is exactly what we're trying to do. A platform where physicians can be entrepreneurs and even why physicians, even non-physicians who are doing something leading say one line of business, they can be entrepreneurial. Of course, they have to be taught. They have to learn how to be entrepreneurial. No one taught, taught us how to run a business. The goal is to teach people how to run a business and basics of running a business. You'd be surprised how deficient our education system is in imparting how to be practical with creating something of value for the society and monetizing it, which is called a business. And <laughs> I
0: know because none of the none of our professors were teaching this. No,
1: they don't know because they've never done it. Well,
0: I did have one one. I remember one. I forgot his name. I have to get his name. But we had one professor. One. Um, uh, no, I guess he was a professor. When we used to round. He used to have the lowest census in the hospital. Yes, Everyone wanted to be on his team because we didn't have to write as many notes. Why? Because he was efficiently discharging his patients. Yes, that's right. But no one liked him. That's right. I remember that. Even the other attendings didn't like him. Because he's like, oh, well, he's not managing the patients right. And he's discharging them too soon. And they're bouncing back. No, they're bouncing back because we have no clinic follow-up. There was nowhere to follow up on these patients. None of these patients needed to be in the hospital 10 days, 12 days. So it was interesting because he understood it, but even he that understood it was vilified by the system.
1: Yes, yes, but you know, when I was, I was fortunate, 2001, when my employer was selling his practice and we bought his practice um, for ourselves, he introduced me to, if you remember, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki. And Robert had a lot of, you know, silly things in there, which is, you know, all fluff. The couple of good things in there. He had the point. You have to build a business. You have to create something that is of its own value because the business will help you build your real estate portfolio. He was big on real estate. That's he is still is. And so that's that's where we learned. Of course, following him I made a lot of mistakes. So then I had to go beyond him to go to the fundamentals of how to run a real estate business. But that's, you know, we have discussed that in the past. But yeah, I mean that insistence that you can do a work for someone or you can be more entrepreneurial and create your own uh, um, value, create your own space. That is what we are trying to do. Create a platform where uh, physicians who want to do something different, something new can thrive. Because the moment we do that, we have brought in creativity, we've brought in energy, we have gotten rid of burnout, and, and that is our goal. And, and uh, if I'm successful with it, if that's something that can succeed, and I believe so far we've been successful with it, um, I think this will be a beautiful thing. This is probably, yesterday I was told, day before yesterday, this is the only model where physicians are considered as stakeholders. This is not a private equity system or a corporate system where physicians are treated as employees. And I was happy to hear that. I, I felt good about it.
0: Yeah, and, and physicians have to know what organizations they're getting themselves into as well. Because some physicians may not want to be that entrepreneur. Yes. But they still want to make half a million dollars a year or, or and yes. drive that, you know, fancy car. But I think one of the things that we have to teach our physicians is, hey, if you don't wanna be an entrepreneur, then you may not reach this salary cap. You may have to settle for something less, but let's teach them how to get out of debt, how to spend right. less than what they what they make, That's right. how to save for retirement, right. how to you know, manage their That's personal right. life, their spiritual right. life, their physical life. We're not teaching that.
1: We're not, and I, if I may, I, the little that I'm learning right now, I think, you can do well for yourself, even if you don't do do Medicare Advantage. There are other avenues through which you can do a great job, love what you do, and still have enough uh, return. Absolutely, yeah. and I don't want to put a number to it, but a return higher than the market average, and and do well for yourself. Absolutely,
0: I mean, if you if you look at the the average income of a physician, and you take that that monies that they make, and you put, you know, 15% of what they make in a retirement fund over 20 years, you're a millionaire. That's right. Exactly. And if you graduate at 30, (laughs) you're a millionaire at 50.
1: That's not too bad. I mean, Um,
0: not bad. And that's if you don't contribute more. That's if you don't buy real estate. That's if you don't do anything else. But we're not teaching that. So that's one of my missions. And it's a shameless plug to what I'm trying to do.
1: Absolutely. And uh, managing there's retirement the retirement
0: calculators on, on our website. And yeah. you can you can find these resources. It's out there. If you don't know, you know, we'll we'll, we'll help you. And um and I think it kind of leads into, you know, y- you, right? You you are the entrepreneur. You you're the guru businessman in, in Hernando County, if not one of the top, I feel, <clears throat> managed care business owners in the state. HCA saw that as well and you partnered with them. What happened with that?
1: Um, last year we we purchased their shares back. So it was not it was an amicable parting of ways. So one thing I've learned is one should stay in our one's core business. You know, good to great. Mm-hmm. Stay in your core. You know, the three things, the three circles, remember that? What you love most, what you're good at and what makes money for you. These three have to overlap. Once they start overlapping, that area of overlap becomes your core. And if you can focus on that, then you do well. And again, remember, HCA is a hospital-based organization, uh, a good organization. They have great systems, how to run a hospital. We are a primary care, outpatient-based, maybe a specialty group, IPA, doing our own TPA, developing our own software, education platform, crazy things that to them it is a waste of time and energy. Why would you do that? Why don't we just focus on building our revenue base and get more patients? So we've done crazy things. Uh, I don't think uh, HC would want to do that. Uh, they are creative in their own space. And I think when we realized that we, uh, we had a good, uh, some good discussions, some not so good discussions, and then finally we realized it's not a good fit It's, you know, it's a a marriage not made in heaven. And so we parted ways and I think we were very happy. Both are very happy. At least we are very happy. And we have been able to do things without losing the compliance bit. They are great at financial compliance. Without losing that, can you be creative? And that is the challenge. Without, you know, so many regulations are sitting on you. And so you kind of get suppressed and oppressed and you just do certain things and that's the way you're going to be. And if I have to give you an example, IBM. Think of IBM. That was one of the biggest companies in the world at one point. And what happened? It lost its creativity. And then every time I tried to bring that creative, creative spark, guess what happened? The world belongs to the disruptors. If you look at Fortune 500 companies, Every year, you're going to see three to five percent falling off, and new ones are coming in, and new ones are coming that are not the traditional entities. You're going. To, yesterday, I was uh, seeing a uh, company Canva. If you see Canva, seen yeah. Canva yeah, we use
0: I mean, Can, actually, we use Canva.
1: Twenty-six billion in in how to platform, how to create a design, started from nowhere. She's, I think, she's an Australian, really? and now she's anyway. she's a, a, a massive company. She's ready to take on the big boys. And that's what I'm talking about. Can we disrupt in a manner, we find our own space. We don't have to compare ourselves with Canva or Google or Amazon or or Facebook and all these things. These are all exponential organizations that have gone logarithmic, gone crazy, because the world has changed. So conservative companies will work their way, continue the process, I believe healthcare is going to get disrupted. I really believe that. And someone there is someone there who's going to disrupt it. And the companies that are conservative will have a hard time unless they adapt quickly and change their ways. Right now, they're protected. They're protected by regulations. They're protected by a very strong cover whether it's pharmaceutical whether it's PBMS
0: yeah so you're you're getting into the, the future and i, I we're going to get there yes but but so ACA because that that's that's a whole other conversation because yes. how can you have a disruptor if the things that you need to disrupt are own the practices 70% of practices are owned by hospital corporations
1: that's right and they're not they're not able to be creative with that. We no, saw that. they can't be creative. So
0: why would they want you to be creative? Why would they? Because if you're creative, that means you're leaving their organization, and you're gonna you're gonna take away their revenue base, their referral base.
1: They didn't do poorly at all. They did better with us. Better utilization in the hospital, less length of stay, huh. less admissions, better quality indicators. We hired our own case managers. They did not give us case managers for our patients. We hired, we have our own hospitals program. We are tracking them in nursing homes. We are tracking them at homes. We are monitoring everything. We are ensuring continuity of care. So, they but, did not lose money. So so
0: you're saying they didn't lose money even in hospitalizations? Not it, at all. If you're, doing, if you're doing really well, then should your hospitalization rate go down?
1: Absolutely. But then look at the G- GLOS,
0: the, your the length the, of stay,
1: geometric mean of length of stay went down drastically and we, we had a competition with their hospitalist program. And we would we would match them toe to toe, we would go toe to toe with them. And we, we were better sometimes and they were better sometimes. But think about it, that's a good, healthy competition. Mm-hmm. So when you reduce the waste, even if you're every day saved, every day saved, um, if you have 100 patients in the hospital and you're saving a day on, on average, think about how many admissions you need to catch up to that. You're saving them a lot. Yeah, but do they see it? Do the, the
0: administrators see it? I that?
1: believe they saw it. Look at how many more beds they have added. Look at um, from 200-bed hospital. It's now a 370-bed hospital.
0: But don't they have to catch up to that?
1: now that They're they they full, more? 130% occupancy. 130%. So, so you're saying
0: the, the efficiencies that you created in the system allowed them to... Spend more money to get more beds to and it's wipe it's the competition. The
1: busiest basically. hospital in entire Tampa Bay in this whole division. It is their busiest hospital. Wow. Yes. So, is that an
0: effect also of of basically taking admissions away from the other local hospitals? Because I know that this, you know I don't know if I can mention. I'm going to mention. Yeah. Hospital. So Spring, other Hill, hospitals, thirty percent. They're thirty percent down. Thirty
1: percent of their admissions are with from us. Thirty-eight percent. So think about it 62 percent at, at HCA it's 32 38 percent at, at um, Bravera okay. well, it's now Bravera uh-huh. um, and you know I, I always believe in competition spread it out spread out the yeah. the patients so if you do that then uh, you 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 get uh, you get the best service from all uh, everyone is on their toes and that's what makes America a great country competition. So you no, know, there's no focus on sending everyone to one hospital. Uh, it's always good to spread it out, and that's why we did not concentrate only around uh, HCA hospitals. We have spread out, and we are working with everyone. Advent uh, Adventist Advent health. Advent health. We are working with uh, even BayCare. I'll work with anyone. Mm-hmm. Just take good care of our patients. That's all. Yeah.
0: So so you went. Uh, so the HCA deal is done. I've now got closure because I, I wasn't 100 percent sure if that was done, done. last year the, but they also had a partnership in the IPA so all done explain to me what the IPA does because you know we have a money tree series that kind of explains things but hearing it from you I think might kind of might might kind of uh, will solidify uh, some of the things maybe the holes that I may have uh, had in the the processes so you have the HMO that distributes money to the IPA how is your IPA doing?
1: Our IPA is in terms of quality, compliance, uh, evidence-based medicine, uh, patient satisfaction. Business, is it's business, doing fine. It's okay. No problems. It's doing... Uh, the goal is to keep improving every year. Goal is to keep measuring yourself. Metrics are better. Quality is better. So what, what,
0: what is the number one thing that you do for physicians as an IPA?
1: Number one thing that we do for a physician. First, I think... I think, I hope that they'll agree to it. Just being there for them, I think is a good thing. Just talking to them, making sure that they're, they don't feel they're alone. Um, and ups and downs uh, have happened with physicians, but we support them We are, because we are physicians. We work, I work as a physician even now. I love doing what I do. Understanding the pain of a physician and I think just giving them the resources and more importantly, even just being there and, and kind of helping them navigate through it is is good uh, is is a great thing I think. So whether it's through our ACO, whether it's through our IPA, whether it's not even our IPA, we have physicians calling who are not part of our IPA, and they'll call and we'll say, okay, I'll give you our uh, you know we'll give you our resources uh, because there's always somewhere somehow that you're connected. So so you say that
0: you're giving them resources. What what are those resources? What would you say?
1: Basic resources, technology. Right. Uh, we have software pro- uh, programs that we six HMOs in the country are using uh, platforms for them. They're using it. Uh, IPS can use it. We have some unique softwares that others don't have or others don't give for, uh, at our rates. So technology, Two is is uh, clinical services like compliance, quality, uh, U.M., you know. So you're saying management. you're
0: helping them with reports, you're helping them reports, morph, uh, data. data.
1: Yeah, data is a big problem. Data is a huge is the problem. So,
0: so but if they're if they're a managed care physician, shouldn't their their HMO or shouldn't the insurance company be helping them get these reports? I know that they have portals.
1: Yes, but think about it for a moment. Does an HMO really know what a physician's practice is? Just like your professors in, in Harvard what do they know about, about a physician? Yeah, the yeah. person who's sitting there sending you the data, what do they know about your practice? Very simple thing. You see a patient, you bill for it. Who is the biller? Well, the I know biller them. is an outside company. U- usually you will get an outside company who will do your billing. Most of the billers are fee-for-service billers. They do not know managed care. So I had a. I went to this conference of billers. They invited me. I think they were... F- 100 people, and I ask them, how many of you know how to do managed care billing? Zero. How many of you do managed care bill- billing? Almost 90%. So think about it. So what happens? Very practically, I write, I see the patient, I write eight codes. A lot of them will send only four. Okay, I educate them, they send eight. They send the claims. Clearinghouse goes to the HMO, HMO sends to CMS. Normally, if it's fee-for-service and they give you the denials, you get the denials, what is the billing company going to do? It's going to work them, right? Because every time they get more money, they get a percentage. Yep. Now, the HMO gives you the denials. Who's working them? Not one billing company that I know of is working on them. First of all, they don't know how to read the reports. Yeah. Two, they don't care because they got payment by the claim. Yeah. Third, they don't know the value of it. And who's looking at it? Is the physician looking at it? Physician doesn't have time to, to take a break and chill and relax. So who's looking? Is the office manager looking? Office managers don't know how to look at it. Someone has to look at the data. Data is the new oil, right? Someone has to look at the data and leverage it to increase the profitability. Every Affiliate that whose billing we took last year, you we improved their RAF score by 15%. Look at the look at the leakage. Yeah. yeah, these are physicians working hard, busting their jobs. They don't know why they're not succeeding. They're angry at us. Why are you not? I said, okay, let's look at your data. How many claims went through? You sent. 10,000 claims, how come CMS has 7,000? What happened here? Mm -hmm. Oh, our biller knows, he's my friend. Okay, I know, he's your friend. Let me take over the managed care. Okay, you take it, we don't care. They don't care about managed care. The moment you take it, you find 500 codes that have have to be resubmitted. Just resubmission, they've already done all the work. You just have to send it again. So this is what I'm talking about basic fundamental understanding, what is called EDPS now, right? EDPS, it used to be wraps, EDPS, encounter-based mm-hmm. um, data that is sent. CMS wants that. Who's going to manage it? Who's going to look at your data?
0: Yeah, doctors don't care about that. No, we, no, we, we the don't billers know. don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you now and I thought I knew managed care and I'm now having to learn what EDPS is.
1: Yes, and so maybe you should do one one session just on EDPS. Yeah. Premium billing, who's looking at your premium billing? Patient is on dialysis. Are you ensuring that CMS has that information? Who's going to check on that? You're not checking on it. Someone is checking on it, right? There is no someone. You are that someone. So we have to give you the resources to check on that. Part D. Who's checking your Part D? Part D is a killer.
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to pause right now and, and let people know that if you have no idea what Doctor Singh is talking about right now, you need to go on to learnaboutmedicareadvantage.com dot com and sign up for the free course. So, <laughs> so you know what's going on, <laughs> because there's a lot of terminology that <clears throat> yes we've been talking about this whole year, this whole year and a yes. half. And yes. if you haven't, that's a place to go to to learn some of the stuff. But right. go ahead, shameless plug.
1: Yes, absolutely. So there is, I mean, these are nuances yeah. to things that need to be done. Look at your revenue cycle management. Doctors, we look at specialists. They are punctilious about their billing. We know specialists. You know them. Any denial that comes, the biller goes right to the doctor. This colonoscopy got denied because you wrote only screening, You, but you did it three years ago. Okay, colitis, right? Boom, sent right back. Within half an hour, it has been responded to. Is someone doing the same with your managed care? I guarantee you no, no one is
0: because there's, there's No, revenue. there's no revenue coming in.
1: No one is tracking it. Yeah. No one is watching it. So you need, and now you're talking about big data. It is no longer patient by patient. You're talking about big data. How many doctors know the word big data? And we're talking, when we say big data, we're not talking about five files. We're talking about a terabyte of data coming and who's going to put it together, organize that data, put put fields, every health plan has a different field, and send it back. You know, our numbers were so good that two of the best plans in the country said, your, your system is great, better than ours, you just submit it directly to CMS. Oh, wow. Yeah, you just give it. Just give us the file, we'll send it to you for wow. you. So, so the, the biggest health, though, so health, the health plan health... in the country takes our d- files and just sends it. Yeah. Because... You have to get the subject matter experts who do this for a living. You have to reach that point of excellence. And you know this. Just one thing you can be, if you're good at one thing in life, that's it. That's all you need. So our goal is to be good at that one thing that will change your life. All those affiliates are happy. Doing nothing extra, they get an extra 10 grand a month, 15 grand a month. That's your 15%. Yeah. Right there. For the next 20 years, just do that. And they're kicking themselves. Why didn't I use their billing three years ago? Because I, that billing company is my friend. You can have friends. This is something that is rigorous. It is demanding. Big data, Brooks, no friends. Big data is numbers. You crunch the numbers, it's objective, it's Excel sheets. Ah, uh-huh. Excel back, sheets, uh. making sure things are done right and you send the data back.
0: So, so obviously you know this well. You, you knew this well enough to even have started an HMO.
1: Yes, we In did. 2020, 2020. <laughs> I didn't know anything what I was doing. 2004... Um, but we—when has that stopped us from doing something? Yeah, yeah. You don't have and, to know and, something.
0: And that's the beauty of having, you know, known you and having, you know, seen what you've done over the past couple of years. And Optimum Healthcare was at HMO. That's right. So what happened with Optimum?
1: Well, we passed it on in 2007, so it was probably too early for its time. Uh, the physicians—it was the approach was the physicians in the community would come together and create a plan. That was the original idea. I remember, I remember the meetings. Yes, and um, I remember when it was sold in 2018, we had physicians come to me angry with me for not asking them, forcing them to put more money into it. But when we started it, they scoffed at it. You are the HMO doctor, what are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) they not only scoffed at it, they called the health, other, all other health plans and told them what nefarious designs I was up to so the other health plans knew about what I was doing and they kind of tried to pressurize us and, and, and destroy it. Fortunately, we are, we have a, we are a little thin, thick-skinned. We don't bow so easily. But in 2007, you know, Dr. K. Patel took over uh, Optimum. Then he did a great job, his team's, and 2018, he sold it and did very well for himself. And we became passive investors in it. Uh, small, but we all did well for ourselves. But I'll tell you the greatest return, Jude, the learning. Yeah. Yeah. That learning is being used for your big data in EDPS today. That we can talk that learning is being used to create platforms for hmos think about it yeah you would never you would never have known never hmos known if, if, are it, using our platform to run their organization so we know what they get in the past you couldn't break that data you couldn't take that data and crunch it now you say oh yeah 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 we know this data give it to us we'll we do we'll do it better than you Problems with HMOs are they're so big. There's no person tracking it. Organizational memory, there's no such thing. People move all the time. They don't know what happened last year. So fortunately, we have kept the same people, the same systems, and we are more tech-savvy than most conservative entities shall i say mm-hmm. so we can do crazy things we can, uh, someone compared us to a, what is that a swift boat compared to an aircraft carrier oh, yeah. and we can go run circles around the swift uh, the aircraft carrier yeah we have our own strengths and we can move fast and we can make changes and we can adapt and we can learn and we can share that knowledge so that is the goal to be what is called a lighthouse organization if you've used uh, heard of that term A lighthouse organization is an organization that is used by all the boats, all the ships to navigate, to to set their standards. Okay, this lighthouse is here. We're going to move in this manner so that we can reach the port. That is our goal, to be the lighthouse.
0: And so what what metrics are you using to to determine your success now that we're moved away from the medical practice, it looks yeah. like, and you're looking at, I guess, IPA software and yeah. systems platforms, are you selling to the public? Are you yeah. using, what are the metrics you're using to, to show your success in that that avenue?
1: Um, we, I mean, metrics in the sense, we have six health plans, so that's okay. a good good metric. That's a good validation and more are coming and people come and ask for us. We have private equity coming to us and wanting to partner with us uh, because uh, believe it or not, we are very customer friendly, client friendly. We are not those big boys who say, this is the way it is, take it or leave it. We're gonna charge this much. We will work with small clients, small HMOs. We love working with small HMOs because at one time, we you run answer. a small HMO. So 600 members, people scoff at them. You can't, you don't deserve us. No, we like we like you. We'll work with you. It's high risk, but we'll work with you. And help making them successful, help help them grow. Mm-hmm. That is very satisfying. So the metrics, I would say, is more non-transactional now. Um, what is the satisfaction? What is the satisfaction of, of challenging yourself and creating that answer to the challenge. Um, and probably, I guess, when you've reached a point where you're not looking so much for financial returns, but you're looking to create something of value, you want it to create a technological breakthrough, um, you're trying to disrupt, if not anyone else, disrupt yourself, then the metrics becomes, have I created a platform this year that is better, twenty percent better. Have I? Has my revenue? Is my claim system automated for ninety-five percent of the claims? Can I move faster? Can I move from thirty seconds per claim to uh, ten seconds, or point, or just two seconds per claim? Those are my metrics. So I believe when when such things are created, um, that is a lasting value. Similarly data management, a lot of effort has gone into managing all our data. And you have worked with EMRs. Uh, You know, you started one of the, in the early days, uh, you created your own EMR as a physician created EMR. And we still see, we are still EMR 1.0. We have not reached EMR 2.0. We have have reached web 3.0, web 4.0, but EMR still stays in the old, you know, uh, antediluvian stage. So now we have to bring it up to speed. Now if we can crack that, that would be my challenge. If I can crack that in the next 12 to 18 months, not so much to sell in the market, but just to improve our own care for our patients. Uh, Can we improve our data so that physicians immediately get a response uh, and physicians are helped? It is customized, individualized for the patient, personalized for the patient, can we do that? So those are the metrics. Is my healthcare platform incorporating education in it? So can I wanted to create a university? Now, that's a challenge I've set myself. And I'm happy to tell you that our first course in, in master's in healthcare got approved. We are now driving everyone crazy. Everyone around us wants to kill me, I think, because we are pushing it. But if we can create all the content in the next 60 days, then we have a master's program. How many physicians create a master's program? So those are my metrics. Have I created something of value? And can it? And what you are doing is in in, in uh, your practice impossible. Is something similar? Uh, we are probably more accredited and more you know university based. But I think it'll jive very well. And, and you're going to be part of the process as faculty. So it'll be a beautiful thing. I mean, academics. I love academics. I love teaching. Academics itself has to be disrupted.
0: Yeah, and, and if we continue to do the same thing we're doing, we're not going to get anywhere. We're gonna we're gonna be ruled, or we're gonna be told what to do by larger organizations. Um, so we've we've gone. This has been about an hour, you
1: know. Is that right? There's so much. There's so much. I, to talk I, I, about. I'm only
0: on one page of notes. I don't know how this is going to happen. <laughs> You want, to, you want to take a drink before? I can, I
1: can have, I would love your kombucha, so I'll have yeah. some.
0: <laughs> um, so Arif, we took a small break and we're just going to come back. And so we're back talking to Dr. Singh, the Practice Impossible podcast. And, you know, during the break, we he actually mentioned something. He mentioned... Physician athlete? What was it that you were saying?
1: Physician athletes.
0: (laughs) Physician athletes. I I thought I was a physician athlete. Yeah, play soccer every week. Yeah, count.
1: Yeah. So, when you were growing up, who were your heroes? Michael Jordan. Pele. 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 Pele? I'm old. Pele. Great. Pele. Great. Uh, Soccer player. Football. Football football,
0: player. From Brazil.
1: Right. But did you have a physician you held in? as a superstar you want it to be and I, I'm not talking about uh, you know what is that show with uh, Dr. Oz I'm not talking about it. no um, think about it how many years did Pele spend playing football all his life 15 years 20 years yeah. before he became famous he wore, played in the streets yeah played with the, those uh, balls made of cloth
0: yeah he used to play with right? socks
1: right and, he, and yeah. played 15-20 years he became a master and then he could do things with the ball Football that no one else could.
0: Well, I, I'm I'm thinking some people might think a, a doctor F would be uh, one of those those superstars. Don't don't mention Who's his Dr. name. Who's Doctor F? We're not mentioning his name.
1: Okay. So look at how many years you put in to become a doctor. Yeah. How many years did you put in? Eleven. Eleven, and you did things. You could do things that saved lives. Yes. In the ER. You did not do ALS. You, did, you went far more than that, right? ATLS. ATLS. That's trauma life support. You could save people, right? Right from the, the edge, you could bring them back. Obviously, you know, it's not in our hands. It's in God's hands. Yep. But you could do almost everything humanly possible, put tubes wherever you wanted to, to bring them back. Yes. So I have a question for you would you consider yourself a physician super athlete at that time in the in the ER running that show and you bring someone back to life? Was that a high or not? Yeah, it was high. It was a high for you. Yeah. Why are you not held in the highest esteem in the society for bringing back that life rather than someone who does college and plays football and gets $20 million, $30 million as a, uh, help me here, quarterback. Yeah. So have we, are our priorities a little mixed here? Absolutely they are. Right? I've, I've, I've always said that. And you had more debt? <sighs> yeah. Right? While, you know, that super athlete could do things that, and he's always famous and he can sell shoes and you can sell kombucha and he can sell whatever he wants. <laughs> so, and this is an idea I actually got from uh, one of our financial consultants who's in Tampa. And if I can mention his name. Yeah, Todd Mesra, I learned from him. He says, you are super athletes. We don't realize that. And so first is we have to realize our own worth. And then we have to realize the worth of each other. We put each other down.
0: Self-awareness, right?
1: Self-awareness and awareness of the other, right? So it's critical. And, and only then will the society begin to learn to appreciate us and I'm not talking about it in a negative way. You don't have to do anything crazy. Don't go on a strike or anything. But realizing who you are, realizing who your peers are and what you do, that shift in the, in the ER is more important than that Super Bowl game, because you have saved one life, two lives, three lives. That Super Bowl game has not saved any life.
0: All right, so where do you think it comes from? What is the basis of a society not valuing a human life or the work of someone that's saving a human life?
1: Well, the society does value it when it comes to the crunch, right? It does, when, when it's your own family, it's your own loved one in trouble. Um, I think it's, it's multifaceted. We don't respect ourselves enough. Uh, we don't help each other enough. We don't respect each other, and I'm talking about the physician community, Absolutely. medical community. Yeah. We don't help each other. We don't respect each other. Um, so what you're trying is is a great, great thing. And then the 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 approach, the presentation to the community has to be: what is more important than a, than a physician or a teacher for the future of the of the of this community? You save a 15-year-old kid who becomes tomorrow a Steve Jobs. What is the value of it? You deliver a baby who becomes the next, I don't know, uh, some Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King or some great man. What is the value of that? So uh, the value of a life is, is not something to be looked down upon. So we... I. I like that, Physicians, super athletes. We are super athletes. We, maybe we don't have the muscle maybe here, although we are training for it. Muscle here, what about this muscle? What about this muscle? What about this muscle in the gut? So we need to realize that, and I think you, need, you are bringing that out, but I think you may wanna put a little more oomph in it now and, and let others know, people need to know What they're doing, they're doing a great job. We just need to strengthen them and empower them. And if you can do that, more and more people, the smartest people will want to become doctors, will want to become neurosurgeons, will want to come and do primary care with us. Why not? And so that motivation, inspiration, that positive burnout happening, it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. How the hell can you have burnout? You're doing the best job. You have the best job in the world. Can anything be bigger than this? And you having burnout, so something is wrong somewhere. No, we have physicians doing MBAs and leaving the practice to become—I wouldn't say lackey, but uh, getting a job in some corporate entity. What the hey? So I think this is a unique position where you are doing good, despite even wanting to do so. Just writing that prescription. Someone comes to you with severe back pain, and you just smile and you talk nicely. You've brought cheer to that person. What is the value of that? So, we need to look back and and not become arrogant, but in a humble way acknowledge what we are doing. You know, the the and I take inspiration from some of the greatest healers in human history you know christ himself was a healer yeah right so we we exalt him he was a healer at multiple levels but he was a healer even at the physical level right so and every great teacher is a healer in some way or the other we are mini healers yeah (laughs) but as doctors we are athletes
0: yeah and and um you know, when you, when you bring in Christ into in the forefront, uh, you know, you're saying exactly what I think he has told us. And there's two things he tells us to do. is to love him, love God, right. and love everyone else. Right. We're not even loving our own colleagues.
1: No, we're not. We're bad-mouthing our colleagues. Yes, that's exactly what
0: <laughs> we're, we're We're disparaging them. We're competing with them. Yes. We're not loving. And that, I think, for me, is what I try to teach my kids. I try to teach them. Love and respect.
1: That's where burnout happens. That's the secret of burnout. Love. Yes. That's the secret of fear, secret of anger, secret of all negativity. If you can get rid of the negativity, you realize what you do, you can never have a burnout. How can you have a burnout? You can't. Because the return is so is 10x. I'm using 10x, sorry. The return is 10x.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I truly believe it starts in medical school. Because it, um, I remember a a, an intern telling me as a third year student, if I wasn't sicker than the sickest patient on this ward, my butt better be here at 4 a.m. changing dressings. And I looked around. I'm like, wow, there's some sick patients here. And so, if I'm listening to him, and he's the one that's grading me, he doesn't care what I'm going through. He doesn't care. He just wants me there, regardless of what's going on. That's not showing love.
1: No, no, that's and yeah, nice. you're right. And the stress in medical school is, uh, you know, my eldest child is in medical school. The stress they are under, because we have created medical, the medical system as a, as a system of carrot and stick,
0: command and control,
1: command and control. Yeah, that's, Steve, that's, Steve,
0: Steve Covey says it right, right, uh, yeah, yeah. in his book, um, uh, trust and inspire. Yes. So there's, you can have the companion control style of leading? Yes. yes. Or trust and inspire style yes. of leading in the, um,
1: It's very it's, stressful. Uh, medic, medical school is very stressful, but we are not helping it any. Um, and we've made it very painful. The debts, I mean, we were talking about student debts earlier, and 250,000, 300,000 debt, you, get, you have to... Uh, yeah. You better be very motivated to become a doctor. Yeah. And one reason why one physician who committed suicide was his debt. It was a million dollars in the hole, oh my gosh. and he had no way out. He could not, his practice would not make the money that he needed to pay off the debt. And, uh, and of course, and the emotional pain and all the other thing uh, about uh, failing himself and all that guilt comes. But that should never happen.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's also, it's written at, um the borrower is a slave to the lender. That's yes, true. So if you owe someone money, you become that person's slave. And until you pay him back... That's true. ...you will be beholden to him and whatever he tells you to do. That is correct. And so the qu- quickest way to get out of that is to get out of debt as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. And then that's why they have to be successful.
0: Yes, and that's why we need to
1: teach them. Okay. Well, that's so, another pitch for your show.
0: Spiritual habits. Because now we, we kind of... I'll tell them to <laughs> the spiritual aspect. So what are your spiritual habits and how do you feel that those habits are helping in longevity?
1: So I've been very fortunate since medical school. I was, I had two uh, educational paths as I entered medical school. One was medical school proper. One was medical school proper and the other was um, literature, poetry, art, and through that coming into a world of spirituality. And I'm, when I say spirituality, not it was, I was very non-denominational. I didn't go for any you know partisan or parochial system. I just wanted to know how to approach myself, how to approach the the truth with the capital T. And uh, so that journey allowed me to give me that space. So that medical school did not become the biggest thing in my life. And despite multiple failures in life, although I don't claim to have suffered as much as so many others, that kept, keeps, kept me going. And so reaching a point, one is uh, contentment, but two, also looking at every moment as a new uh, opportunity. Every moment is entirely new, uh, 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 dropping the past, uh, not being hung up on the past or projecting into the future, living in the present, living in the glorious now, and seeing the beauty, the enormous potential of life, the joy of, of everything that life gives you, the joy of being yourself, joy of, of uh, friendships and and your family and joy of taking care of patients. I've derived more from my patients than they have taken from me. That's simple. I'm just not ashamed to say it. When I see a patient, I get more. Uh, they're they're getting they short, getting shortchanged. They don't know that. I won't tell them. it's all about. Yeah, but you know, hopefully not many will. Patients will be listening to this. But it is the truth. You know, ninety year old guy looking in your eyes with that with that sinking feeling that he's losing control, and you talk to them and you strengthen them. And what is the value of that? And I see my own parents at that age, so. Somehow or the other, I see a similar situation, so who's getting more? And so I think we have to go back to the fundamentals of being a human being and being a doctor. And if we can find that point, I'm not going to pitch for any religion or any denomination, but learn from our greatest uh, spiritual teachers, if we can find that point of compassion point of love, point of caring, just deep caring and deep listening and being in the in the present, being available, being open, being aware. That itself is, is a, a path towards spirituality, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think if someone is listening to Dr. Singh right now and is considering medical school, or is considering going to school, I think you have to understand the, the, the wisdom that's in what he just said. Cause if you don't have that compassion and if you don't have that in you, maybe medicine is not for you. If you're going into it for other reasons, because a lot of people say, Oh, yeah. I want to go in because I want to be the best surgeon. or best, You have to go in and to help people yeah. and be compassionate and, and love people. But if you don't, and you're doing it just because you want the prestige of being a physician and you know, then you're going to burn out. Cause yes. you're not going to get that.
1: Yes. Yes, true, that is true. There is a fascination with the subject. You can love the subject deeply, um, then better go into research or go into a a non-clinical side. Uh, But on the clinical side, where you're gonna touch people every day, every five, ten minutes, then you have to have that that joy out of meeting people. And if you don't have it, uh, you have to realign yourself. Now, I'm not saying those who are doctors leave your field if you don't get that joy. We need to make sure that you, they have the joy, and oftentimes the negativity, that, the pressure, the stress of being a doctor that takes them away from the joy of being a doctor.
0: Yeah, and so that's why we're doing this, right? Yes. is to show them how to get rid of that negativity, how to yes. manage the practice, how to increase yes. your revenue, how to do things that are gonna help you remain in that joy.
1: Yes, and financial success is an important thing. If you're under stress all the time and you can't meet your bills, you're not going to be happy no matter how spiritual you want to be. So a hungry uh, stomach uh, will find it difficult to be spiritual. But if you you have sufficient and you're not prone to too much greed, then you have a greater opportunity towards finding that contentment. Finding that inner happiness in the heart, that joy is critical. I think... If you have to define spirituality uh, to find the spirit in things and the spirit in life, whichever way you take it, take this pun. Spirit can be the, the exalted Holy Ghost or spirit can be just the essence of a thing, like the Greeks. And that itself is fine. If you can find that joy out of the touch of things, which in Sanskrit is called the rasa, If you can find the joy of every little thing that you do, you are going to discover the bliss of existence. And Indian metaphysics says, the world was created out of ananda. Ananda is bliss, ecstasy. So the divine created out of ananda, not out of anger or, or, or some negative feeling. And so we need to recover that joy. And once we recover that, if we are happier every day, we are on the spiritual path, no matter what name you give it. Mm-hmm. If you are unhappier every day, you're not on the spiritual path. So that is, I think, one way of testing it. That's
0: cool. So, spiritual, mental. Yes. What are some of your practices uh, that you to improve your um, knowledge base? Because uh, I know that you're a reader, and I gave you a book to trust. Inspire. We yes, actually mentioned did. that book. And I think in a week or two, I asked you, did you read it? And he goes, yeah, I, re- I read it. I'm like, how do you read so fast?
1: Yeah, I, I speed read. I like to read very fast. I love to read. I've been reading since since medical school. I love to read. I'm not an audio guy. I'm not a yeah, visual I was ask guy. You that. Yeah. I love to hold a book. I want to go to the bookstore. I want to open the pages. I want to smell. I want to touch it. I'm a touchy-feely guy. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh,
0: I'll I'll listen to an audio book yeah. and then I go ahead and buy it because yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I want to see through the pages and you highlight gotta feel it. I just it just is it's not the right
1: right thing. And, you got to make friends with maybe it. Maybe we're too old. It's okay. okay yeah. no, old is good. Old is good. Okay. I like old is is the best. So I like to hold the books, but I I read fast. And there's a trick to speed reading. If someone gets interested someday, but um, things that I love, I'll go back. I'll go back and keep reading them. And uh, also find a hobby, find something that you love, find something where you have a space that is all your own, whether it's reading, fishing, you go to the gym, you exercise, you run the marathon, something that is your own, something that you, where you have no stress, uh, but you create your, your own, ch- own challenges and your own dimension, where you are yourself, where you are most yourself and that itself will i think takes away a lot of the baggage you know of the past we carry too much baggage we need to lighten up and let go of things yeah i love to read uh, love to spend time with the children whenever i can find it i love to write uh, i love to talk about these things you know i i'm uh, there was a time when i loved to be in theater but i don't have time for it because that takes a long lot of effort and you have to have a lot of commitment. So uh, the vicariously, the way I fulfill it is I read and I write.
0: So children, you mentioned children and, I, and I'm Serena, so Serena is in medical school? Medical school. She's at NYU?
1: Yeah, no, she's in uh, USF. USF, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I'm gonna try to remember this is Sean, Shasha. Shasha. How's Shasha doing?
1: Shasha is taking, he's in cameras. He wants to make movies. He does drone photography. Nice. He wants to do real estate. He's a real estate maven. I nice. mean, that's uh, it's just everything that I want to do in real estate. He thinks I'm too slow.
0: Nice. Yeah. So he's graduated college? He or? graduated.
1: He did his course in, in movie making, and uh, we have different tastes. We okay. argue about them all the time, but he loves... He has uh, Stanley Kubrick and Satyajit Rai, and he loves them and oh. some shared interests. Cool. And then there's Lenora. There's Lenora. She's in college.
0: Where is she at college? USF. USF also. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe, I, I didn't realize your kids were that much older than mine. And then there's Nathan. There's Nathan. And he's still with you or he's in college? Yeah,
1: yeah he's still with us. Okay. He's, he's in uh, high school now. Okay fit enough to be my grandfather but uh, that's how children are
0: but he's the last one too so so he's going to have he's going to be smarter than all of them probably put together
1: i think so i think you know that's that's what i was told by a physician if you remember dr lamba used to tell me that the youngest one is a politician always he knows how to manipulate everyone else and get the best out of all of them the eldest one is kind of the simple one too trusting so yeah. He says, always have three children, don't have only two, because they have to learn the politics, and it's, so.
0: It's your fault that I have four, so.
1: Uh, yeah, we were competing we with compete, each other yeah. for a while.
0: I made fun of you, and then I had my, my four, my <laughs> <laughs> fourth one. It's
1: good though, it's good yeah, to it's have good. four.
0: So uh, physical health, you mentioned this morning you worked out, what's your workout routine?
1: So, you know, I got a trainer. And we, he does, uh, he makes me do what is called payo. I think it's Pilates and yoga mm. and intense workouts. I mean, we have sessions, usually 30 minutes, Tuesday and Thursday, and then Friday an hour. And he just, take, draws out every ounce, every ATP molecule there is in me. And, and uh, that's good for me. Yeah. I, I feel energized after after the sessions.
0: So let's get into politics a little bit, because uh, <laughs> I know you're. we shouldn't mix medicine and politics. What, what is it? Religion and politics? Religion
1: and politics.
0: With medicine? But the current climate yes. of healthcare, where do you see it going? Because you know, you're talking about loan forgiveness for yes. people who go to school, and healthcare, where it is now, ACOs, yes. trying to get everyone to have health insurance. What, what do you think about the current climate?
1: So I was told by someone who is deeply involved in healthcare, he says, there is no politician in this country who will reduce your benefits in healthcare. The sole approach of a politician, no matter which party they belong to, is to keep increasing the cost and keep giving more and more. And they have no concern about how to optimize the cost they have no concern they don't even understand what healthcare on a bigger scale is
0: so so i see two things i mean there's it it feed right into what my thoughts are what are the two biggest expenses in our population it's hospital costs and pharmacy costs yes those are the two things that are not being
1: addressed no no one no one wants to because they're afraid is it because of the lobbying? Is the lobbying. It so who who would remember? Uh, I have only two words for you. Remember Hillary, yeah. 1993. She came with this universal healthcare platform, and you can argue yes and no. There were good things, bad things. You can, you know, that's a different discussion. She was destroyed. Yeah. They portrayed her as this evil person who's going to take away your rights, take away your freedom. Every time a a, a politician tries to do something in healthcare, they get chewed out. So what did President Obama do? He took the safe course. He cut a deal with the pharmaceuticals first and the hospital industry first. And then guess whom he charged for all his insurance that was offered to the uh, uninsured. Do you realize who paid for it? We did. We did. Physicians did. Yeah, two percent yeah, sequestration, sequestration, sequestration and then
0: and Medicare payments
1: and then the hit tax. So they were supposed to pass it on to the insurance companies. The insurance companies promptly passed it on to the doctors. No hospital took that two percent cut because it was part of their negotiation with all health plans that we will not pay for sequestration. So guess who paid for that? Really? Physicians paid for it. The fundamental dishonesty in that whole initiative is what annoyed me. Was it the right thing to do? Yes. Should people everyone have insurance? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Should people who are working have coverage? Do it. But why put it on shoulder on the shoulders of those who cannot protest? And notice doctors did not protest. Doctors bit.
0: didn't understand. We don't understand what anything in the business of course Of course we don't.
1: Why should we? Because we are busy taking care of patients while the lawyers and accountants are running our life. Who becomes who are the senators and the congressmen and congresswomen, not doctors, lawyers, lawyers, finance guys. Okay, so I think we're on the same page on this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm always Cause... on the same page with you. It's just you missing off a few. You haven't flipped it <laughs> flipped on to me yet.
0: I haven't caught up to you. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a, you're I'm, you're at the end of the page. Right, I'm at right. the beginning. You're speed a speed reader. reader. Yes, just, there you go. So, so in that same line, yes, you talk about h- hospitals. Am I Correct in my understanding that DRGs, which are payments paid to hospitals based on diagnosis, diagnosis-related groups. Yes. Is it tied to the hospital's infrastructure expenses on a year-to-year basis? Or how there does the DRG are,
1: work? There are nuances to it. Okay.
0: So let's say a local hospital decides to build a new wing. That's going to cost $50 million to build. (laughs) Don't tell me, tell our audience. (laughs) Yeah, because the DRG is going to go up because of orthopedic expenses.
1: If you have orthopedics, everything else gets paid more. Why? Ask the people who created the system who were pushed on by the lobbyists who helped them create the system and who are the lobbyists the hospitals right yes yes of course what happened during the hurricane which hurricane uh, this hurricane ian ian,
0: ian? doctor uh, hurricane ian
1: yeah hurricane ian so we had patients children born they said this patient can this child cannot be discharged the you know neonate preemie cannot be discharged until he is able to take 50 ml every Uh, Feed. Hurricane comes, you can go home right now. Immediately, patients were discharged to accommodate new patients from other hospitals. Admissions from ERs dropped for those three days because the hospital got 60 patients from other hospitals. Now that those 60 patients have been discharged, suddenly the number of admissions starts going up. Are you telling me that post-hurricane admissions go down for three days—is this a new study? So, humans being humans, systems being systems, especially where finance is a huge incentive, yeah. um, if hospitals are not going to go empty, so you hos- can fill them up. So
0: you can fill them up, and then when you fill them up, the payments to your hospital system go up. As, and if an HMO is contracted with that insurance, that hospital, yes. don't they pay that pay hospital more, more compared more. to the hospital across the street? That is right. not increasing their, their infrastructure or having an orthopedic institute.
1: Most everyone with half a brain will have orthopedics, will have general surgery, will have other toys. Another way, another way of hospitals increasing their uh, earnings, GME programs. Yeah, well, we're gonna get we're gonna get to that. So yeah. there are a lot of ways to to uh, milk this. Uh, hiring your own physicians, what do you think that is about? Yeah. Paying your own physicians more than the market. What is that about? Even when they're running a loss.
0: Yeah, because it's it's a loss leader. It's it, they want to admit patients to the hospital. So it's, you you want to fill right. up the
1: beds. Yeah. So a perverse system of incentivization has Mm -hmm. been created across the whole field, and uh, it is biting the country. At the end of it, the taxpayer is suffering. And when we say taxpayer, it's us. It's all of us. Everyone, the whole country is, is being taken for a ride. No politician to this date, last 35 years, has had the courage to say, this needs to stop has had the gravitas or the leadership that the country would listen, it has the ability to tell the country, this is unsustainable. So how do we change it? What's
0: the future? Value-based care, Medicare Advantage, doctors owning hospitals, how, how would you fix it?
1: All these are our ideas, value-based care, uh, precision medicine, customer-driven medicine, but the costs are not going down. You see that. Yeah. Costs are only going up. The drug costs are only going up. Did you hear
0: about the colonoscopies? Colonoscopies having to be done at the hospitals? If a patient has an AICD, no, I, I, I get a MUFTA. MUFTA sent me a patient and said, the patient has to have a colonosc- routine screening colonoscopy at, at the hospital. Like, no, I'm denying this. Right. I called him. He said, no, 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 Jude. Um, because a patient has a cardiomyopathy, AICD, they are no longer paying for the surgery centers to, to do colonoscopies. It has yeah, to be so, done at the hospitals.
1: So this is all manipulated, right? Medicare this this won't pay for it. Yeah, so some genius. I mean, so this is all cooked up. Unfortunately, I'm just saying it the way it is. Yeah. This is all cooked up, and it is no one is paying attention to what is happening to the country. The cost of drugs, look at chemo drugs. Oh, Oncology, it is It is absurd.
0: It's not even chemo, anymore. it's immune therapy. They're touting everything as immune therapy. Immune
1: therapy and just wait and for the newer drugs yeah. to come in. Yeah. yeah. And so how would you control the costs? No one is willing to take on the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. So if the VA can control the drug costs, why can't the country control the drug costs? Mm-hmm. And it's something that people are unwilling to come together about. It's, it's sad. We have taken positions and we have our heels without caring about what ha- what is right for the country and and,
0: and the, the patient and the patient because i mean these patients have co-pays they have they have to be able to afford some of these things and they can't afford it and so they're going to go without um crazy it's a crazy town so we're spending more money on medicare advantage plans than medicare itself do you think Medicare Advantage is going to continue to grow, or do you think it's going to it's going to decrease?
1: I think it will continue to grow. So, there are good things in Medicare Advantage. Okay. Um, there's a lot of wastage in Medicare Advantage, and it is being abused. And I can say this. Um, and if you look at some private equities over the last year, two years, and Certain businesses doing their SPACS and the value of a patient. I mean, it's um, hundred fifty thousand dollars per patient. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Doesn't do so. It's not
0: sustainable. So, so the private equity comes in, scoops up these practices. Right. What happens to the doctors in three years?
1: Uh, the doctors have to start all over again. Because private equity is not. It's not like private equity is coming and taking ten percent of your practice and giving you some money. That by hundred percent of your practice now you have to work for two years. After that, you're thrown and out. so, what happens
0: to the what have you seen happening with those those practices? Then do they dwindle away? They go back to their other doctors in the community, or
1: yeah? So depends on depends on who's who has taken over. I mean, look at the big entities that were coming doing spacs two years ago. A couple of them have run out of money. They're bleeding, hemorrhaging money, mm-hmm. and yet. They're valued at $2, $3, 4000000000 billion. And some of this is public information, so I can share with you. Look at Bright Health. Bright Health, of, the last I read was Cigna was going to buy it because it was hemorrhaging money. Uh, they had some good practices they had bought in, I think, the villages, and they had some good uh, CINs. And they were good, but they went and spent so, money. CIN, what's that? Uh, uh, clinical Integration Network. Okay. So it's like an IPA, but it's like bigger, an IPA, like it's, a it's a bigger, yeah, uh, the new rules are allowing CINs uh, to skirt, you know, from the Stark laws okay. and anti-kickback. And that's something that's another discussion for another day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the new rules are allowing these CINs and making, mm-hmm. making it help making it easier for them to function. So those entities look at uh, your Oak Street, look at your Clover Health, um,
0: but are those are those in the Northeast or uh, non Medicare Advantage plac- uh, locations, or are they are they down no, here in they, the South?
1: They've done they've done uh, you know uh, Medicare Advantage. We uh, without talking too many about too many, in, but you can go online and check them out. I mean. Uh, we had seen in Miami, you know, Kano Healthcare had gone uh, done a SPAC.
0: And so one. SPAC, can, so so for those who don't know what SPAC is, can you tell? tell
1: yeah, me? special purpose acquisition company. So it's a, that's another topic that we can talk about. But I don't recommend you do a SPAC. Don't do no, a SPAC. No, no, SPACs. I don't recommend it. Too
0: speculative
1: and speculative. <laughs> uh, uh, speculative. That's, yes, that's a good. yes. Uh, <laughs> don't do it. Um, focus on fundamentals. Focus on the infrastructure. Do the right thing um, if you don't like Medicare Advantage there are other ways to make money but don't do this
0: yeah so but that's what they're doing that's what all these private equities are doing they're taking these packs So bankers
1: back. bankers are taking our practices and running them physicians are not getting the touch they need they're leaving the practices yeah. they call us can I come and join you we take them and then the question is why did you sell your company you idiot I'm sorry I'm sorry to say this why did, you 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 love medicine you are doing well with it. What was the immediate need to sell it while you're still going to practice another 15 years? Yeah. So now you're going to start all over again?
0: Yeah, but wouldn't, okay, so I'm going to be there on the uh, the devil's advocate and say, hey, so that's my exit. I'm going to take this money and put it in the bank, yeah. and I want to travel the world.
1: Do it. But then you want to, you get bored and you want to practice another 15 years. Now what? You're going to start all over again the way you did 20 years ago? There are better ways to exit. So
0: So what's your what's your exit?
1: My exit is a different exit. My exit is multiple meals. It's a different paradigm. Multiple meals. Meals, okay. Yeah. It's you go to the restaurant and you're not done with one meal. You're gonna go again and you're gonna go again and you're gonna go again and you're gonna keep eating and you own the restaurant. And you can have maybe some minority partners and you can have some people with stakeholding and and then So a private equity can't come in and offer you Yeah, offer me.
0: Half a billion dollars for access.
1: They can offer me. (laughs) But why do I would so if I want to have a good time. Right? So I'll sell ten percent, twenty percent. So half a billion they offered, right? How much did you make half half a billion. Yeah. So if I sell 10% of it, what else do I need? Why would I sell the whole thing? I love doing what I do. I love it. Yeah. They're not going to allow me to do a master's program. They're not going to let me do these crazy things. I've been through this before.
0: Yeah, so so you mentioned master's program a couple of times, and we yes. haven't even touched on that. So what is this master's program?
1: Master's in healthcare. The, a practical guide, a pragmatic guide, approach to being in medicine, how to run the business of medicine, how to either be a physician or an administrator who can manage and- So IPA. is this a healthcare,
0: it's, it's an MBA or is this a- Yeah, it's a,
1: it's a, it's an a MBA? master's in M, MHC, similar to, a, it's a master's, okay. similar to an MBA. Master's in healthcare MBA administration? Yeah, master's it's called a master's. Because yeah, I, I
0: mean, I know I'm doing the courses, but I haven't really, we haven't really sat down and, and understood, at least for me, The end goal, is it to have a university? Yes. Or just to have the master's program? You have to have a university. I
1: mean, you have to, I have to have a university. How did you set a university up? That's just- How did I set it up? Yeah. How did you become a doctor, Jude? Let me ask you this question. This is a very important question. How did you become a doctor? I went to school, I learned Uh, from- stop. When did you know you were gonna become a doctor? Four years old, five years old. You were four years old. You wanted to be a doctor. Okay. Yes? Yeah. So I'm going to give you some Indian metaphysics about it, Indian psychology. Time, we take time as, a, as fixed, linear, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have read Einstein, and I think you have read Einstein, time is not that linear as we think it is. Time is quite relative. The Indian concept is when the root, when the cause When the cause decides to manifest, then the thing has already happened. Hmm. It's only, time is only the unfolding of that cause. Now let me explain that. You have a seed, if I give you a seed, and I say this is a tree, you're gonna laugh at me. This is not a tree, there's no branches, nothing is growing. But I say okay I'm going to plant it I'm going to water it I'm going to protect it I'm going to take care of it mm-hmm. and I time I fly you in the future like that movie if you know back to, to the the, back to the future 10 years ahead, ahead what are you seeing
0: It's a, seeing tree. a tree
1: So the cause when it's manifesting then time is only the unfolding of that cause Psychologically, when we decide, you decided to become a doctor, you became a doctor. The rest of your life was an unfolding of that inner seeking. Now, this is an important thing. When you decide that something is going to happen, really, truly, you know it's going to happen, it's already happened. The rest of it is just an unfolding. So, when, and of course, it's, not as simple. I don't wanna make it just you know cookie. I'm not doing a self-help book here. But understand how the psychology works. Everything you will do now is focused towards that end. Right? Everything. You can see, you can connect the dots. I went to school, I planned it, I did my course in medicine, I went to this professor, I did one year of internship, I did one month in a lab, then I took botany or chemistry or organic, no matter how difficult it was, in your right mind, you would never do organic chemistry, but you did organic chemistry, you went through it because you had to become a doctor. Everything, all your energies came together and then you became a doctor and so my question is, when did you become a doctor? Did you become a doctor when you got this degree? Or did you become a doctor at four years of age when you said, I will be a doctor? Yeah. Now suppose I reverse it. So is the tree a seed? Or is the seed a tree? If you did time-lapse photography, you know, you're, that, you're those mm-hmm. little <laughs> comic yeah, things yeah. that you have, you time-lapse, blah, 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 blah. The, the seed is the tree. So bringing that into psychology. Your willpower has tremendous impact in the world. What you envision, what you see, you see it. You don't say, I'm going to make something, and but it is really not you. And when you say, I, I'm going to make it, something really deep comes out, then it will happen. In fact, the Indian position is the Indian psychological, spiritual position is, it has has already happened. Rest of it is just unfolding. You have to have that. What we say about faith?
0: Faith is uh, believing without seeing.
1: It is already there. Everything now is going to happen. You're going to do is going to go towards that. So, if doctors, you know, as forget doctors, anyone, once we realize the power of faith of knowing. Faith is an inner knowing. You know it. Once you can catch on to that because we are too much, you know, all the static is there and we are told to distrust ourselves, our education system, our whole culture mm-hmm. is cynical. It's it just looks skeptical, beats us up. We have to reach back that ability to trust our own instincts and our own inner knowing and go back and get rid of all this junk knowledge that we got, and we go back to our inner knowing. What is that inner knowing? Once we know that, things happen. So, university, how do you do that? I don't know. I don't really care. I know it's going to happen. I know it has happened. People will come. People are coming. If they don't come, I make them come. Who was that famous theologian who said, sometimes the spirit shakes you, and sometimes you got to shake the spirit? with all due respect yes. to the spirit, but we can make things happen. Right? That's good. So That's we powerful. gotta shake the spirit. That's powerful. Yeah, and I, I'll get you the name. He was a famous theologian, great man. I, I, have, I used to read him a lot. Shake the
0: spirit.
1: You gotta shake the spirit, mm? with respect, yes. humbly. So what's the one thing you could tell a physician
0: such that by telling him that one thing, it would make their lives easy, and have them not do the unnecessary things that they're doing in their lives.
1: Time management. Time management. Yeah. Manage your A time, the B time, the C time. Get rid of your C time, get rid of even of your B time. Just-
0: Manage your A time.
1: A time, you know what A time is. Your most productive time. 80% of your work is done in 20% of your time.
0: The Pareto Principle.
1: Pareto Principle. So I added to it, I created a sing Pareto Principle, obviously. Now, if 20% of your work does 80% of your things, then 20% of that 20% is doing 64% of your work. Because 80%, right? Are you, are you with me? Yes. And then another 20% of that, which is 1%, One is doing 80% of that 64%. Almost 50% of your work is being done in 1% One. of your time. Now, if you can build that 1% of your time and bring it to 5, you've already multiplied yourself to 250. Absolutely. Are you with me so far? Most people don't even go
0: to that one thing, so they never get to the 50%. percent you got to
1: go to that one thing. Again, going back to your core, do what you love most. Do what gives you joy. You find your bliss. Joe Campbell used to say it. Find, follow your bliss. Of course, he was a mytholog- mythologian and all that you may agree or disagree with him, but this was a beautiful thing. Find your bliss, similar to our ancient Indian concept of joy, finding joy, you know, let the journey be your reward. So find your bliss and follow it. So that 1% where you are maximally productive, creative, joyful, 50% of your work is being done in that 1%. percent. Nineteen, I give you 99% time off Jude. Yes. And half of your work is already being done. What are you, What else are you gonna do? Delegate,
0: but that's part. That's part of time management.
1: That's absolutely the part of time. Yeah. There. What was that? Peter Drucker. The only management is time management. Remember that famous saying. Well, of course, I had to add something to it. The only management is self-management. If you can manage yourself, which is time, is intimately involved with yourself. Mm-hmm. Time is not separate. Mm-hmm. If you can manage yourself, you you have it made. So that Pareto principle has to be modified into a Singh Pareto Principle, and that's just a joke. Pareto Principle has to be deepened and even the essence of that, that 1% gives you 50% of your work in 1% of your time. Grow that, and you're gonna multiply yourself at several levels. Happiness, time, exercise, meditation, spirituality, uh, mental health, writing books, reading books, climbing, hiking, whatever you know, you whatever you soccer, yeah, and you'll find you you can grow that one percent, and then all you have to do is make that one percent your five percent. You've already cloned yourself. You are doing two and a half times the work that you were doing before. So anything is possible. Who was that? Bernard Shaw, right? Remember George Bernard Shaw? People look at things and say, ask why. I look at things that never were and ask why not. So, it's a beautiful. Uh...
0: That'll, be, that'll be the title of the podcast.
1: <laughs> okay. I look at things that never were. So,
0: this was great. Uh, I mean, I've gotten more out of this than I even imagined. I guess I envisioned this to be like this. This is almost two hours, by the way,
1: sitting. Yeah, it's crazy. But we're not done. What what is time? What what is time? Time itself is is a relative phenomenon. My wife
0: loves to listen to this podcast, Honestly, I think it is, uh, by Barry Weiss. And at the end of her podcast, she goes through a rapid fire of questions. And you're only allowed to answer with one answer, one word. One word? One word or a few words. Okay. So, you ready for rapid fire? Oh my God. I haven't I done this know. yet. This is first time.
1: First time. Favorite sports team? Uh, Indian cricket team. I thought
0: that was. <laughs> Favorite book?
1: The Life Divine. Or you want to yeah. relate to it?
0: Last book that you read?
1: Last book I'm reading, the Rig Veda. Rig Veda? Rig Veda, the oldest literature of mankind.
0: Um, first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Be quiet. What time do you wake up? (laughs) Three (laughs) o'clock. Three o'clock? Three o'clock. Really? Yeah. Biggest pet peeve in medicine and in general. Something that like irks you.
1: Mmm. That's a tough one. I don't have any. You don't have any pet
0: peeves? None. Interesting. Favorite animal?
1: Mm, Dog. Right now. Favorite child? Ooh. Ugh. I'll go the safe route. The youngest one. Ooh.
0: Now you're really going to get them upset at you.
1: Uh, they all know I'm, I'm partial, but the youngest one plays with me, tells me that I'm partial towards the eldest one. Huh. But I think the eldest one will understand. It's safe.
0: Oldest age of your, the, the age of your oldest patient?
1: 106. Really? First job? Teacher. First job as a teacher? Yeah, I was in medical school. I used to go and love to teach in a little school, primary school. Uh, Yeah, I used to love teaching.
0: Most important character trait in someone or someone else?
1: Happiness. Huh? Can I change? Gratitude.
0: Gratitude, okay.
1: Political party,
0: U.S. political party that you're affiliated with. I'm an independent. Uh, I thought so.
1: I could go Libertarian, I could go Green Party, I don't know, depending on positions.
0: And I haven't done this before in the podcast, so I haven't done this, but I'm going to ask you to ask me a question if you have one for me. Please be nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ask you a question. Yeah. Um, When would you have a million followers to... Practice impossible.
0: As soon as a million followers sign up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, but is that uh, okay? Can I follow it up with a question? Yeah, is that a goal?
0: I'm not follow. I, I don't have a goal. No goal. I have a. My goal is to reach as many people as I can that I'm go. I can influence.
1: Okay, that's a good goal. I think that's better than having a million followers. It's better to have say hundred who are deeply immersed in what you're saying and got impacted then have a million followers okay that's a better rant it's a great answer
0: dr singh thank you so much for being on the practice impossible podcast our last edition last last episode of the season and um there'll be more and
1: you'll be invited again by the way it's my pleasure i i I just love it i especially love the rapid fire cool thanks (laughs) okay bye